Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome to the official MSA National Podcast. Alhamdulillah, today we are so humbled and honored to have Sheikh Dawood Walid with us today. Sheikh Dawood Walid is currently the executive director of the Michigan chapter of the Council on American Islamic Relations, CARE. He's also a member of the Michigan Muslim Community Council, Imams Committee, and a senior fellow at Auburn Seminary based in New York. He's also, mashallah, the author of the books Blackness and Islam and Towards Sacred Activism and is a co-author of many more. Alhamdulillah, we are so, so honored to have him. And without further ado, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Dawood. How are you doing today? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well and uh, staying as warm as possible uh, here in Michigan. Alhamdulillah, and I hope that you and your family are doing well in Chicagoland. Alhamdulillah, we're doing well. The weather is definitely uh, pretty crazy right now. We, we've been having a bunch of blizzards and negative degree weather. Uh, how, how's it going in Michigan? Is it snowing, uh, blizzards? How, how's it going there? Uh, we've had some snow, but uh, it's been a pretty uh, moderate winter as far as snowfall this year, alhamdulillah. It's a little chilly, but nothing that we aren't accustomed to here in Michigan. Got it. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I was actually just in Michigan a couple of weeks ago and, and subhanAllah, it definitely is chilly, but so is, so is Chicago. So Alhamdulillah, Sheikh Dawood, uh, you know, we're so, so honored and, and humbled to have you here today, especially, uh, you know, with a topic that is super, super important. Inshallah, want to delve right to it. Uh, we want to talk about, of course, Black History Month and, of course, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I guess I want to start off by asking you, Sheikh Dawood, a kind of personal question. Uh, and I think your reflection based on this will be really, really helpful for all of us to kind of get a, a grasp, if that's okay. Um, so yeah. get it. Great, great, inshallah. And getting straight to it then, you know, with all the various things that have been occurring in the past, those that are currently occurring and continue to occur, and our society. How do you feel, Sheikh Dawood, as a black Muslim living in this time right now in America? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina wa nabiyyina wa uswatina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Well, I can just speak from my own personal experience of being uh, a black man in America, being in my late 40s and having uh, the the knowledge, at least of, of transmission, of hearing what my parents went through, uh, my, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and hearing my great-grandparents' stories from actual uh, family members <clears throat> who were uh, enslaved, uh, were born enslaved on plantations, that um, I have uh, you, you know, some cautious hope as far as, you know, our, our country, the United States of America, uh, the potential for the improvement of, of race relations uh, in the United States of America, at least there's uh, with the, the tragic killings over the summer of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, uh, it shocked a lot of America uh, while people are at home confined due to COVID-19 sheltering in place. And I think that we, you know, are on the edge perhaps of, you know, moving towards some possible uh, national uh, discussion and maybe even some reconciliation of the, the very ugly history 
and foundations of the United States of America and uh, beginning to address more robustly uh, the vestiges of that which this country was established upon, which still leads to um, inequities as far as outcomes uh, in, in terms of people who are in the dominant culture in comparison to those who are Black. And I will also add in uh, Native Americans as well, who are the two primary groups that are subjected to the legacies of uh, racism in America that play themselves out through institutional and uh, systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah. I appreciate that that reflection, Sheikh Dawood, kind of bringing things more to a communal level, right? As as a huge, huge leader of our community, mashallah, with care, not just care as a former imam and, and community leader. How have you seen, uh, you know, of course, this is for MSA National. So how have you seen students, but not more than students, parents and community members kind of react to, to all the various things that have been happening over the past year and, of course, continue to still to happen? Well, that's part of my hope is uh, as it relates to improved conditions, because uh, I've seen a lot of people take more uh, interest in the issue of anti-Black racism, uh, a lot of community discussions uh, that took place directly after the uh, homicide of George Floyd, uh, the modern day or uh, lynching of George Floyd that uh, the whole world saw and people went out in the streets. Yep. And so that, that gives me um, that gives me some hope because I, I can tell you just not long ago, I can remember when uh, Mike Brown was, was murdered by the Ferguson Police Department. And I remember at least in my neck of the woods in Michigan, and in particular uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, there was a very different reaction Uh, in comparison to Mike Brown. And when we look at what took place in 2020 at uh, in relationship to George Floyd. So uh, this gives me a pause for for hope that uh, the community is at least uh, willing to uh, recognize the reality of of anti black racism, how it plays itself out and people are more willing to have uh, conversations, not just about anti blackness, in the broader society, but even uh, implicit anti-Blackness that unfortunately resides uh, in the American Muslim community, uh, including in in, in some of our uh, community institutions. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about what you meant by community institutions and and what may be happening there. Well, I would just say this, that there's the the what I consider to be anti-black uh, implicit bias within institutions <clears throat> is when we have national Muslim organizations, and then uh, we know that African Americans make up uh, approximately twenty to twenty-five percent of the American Muslim uh, community, and then you have national organizations that claim to speak on behalf of. Muslims and Islam and seek to engage political figures. And then they don't have a single African-American on their board of directors. They don't have a single African-American who's Muslim uh, on not on the board of directors, but as helping guide the, the programming or just to be a voice in the room to factor in 
the sensitivities of the community. And of course, one black person can't speak for all of the black American Muslim community, but it's to say that um, this, is, this is just um, a sign of benign neglect. And that's part of the implicit uh, anti-blackness that uh, you know, we need to confront, or we have black people that come in and, and, and pray and massage it and in certain areas and then um you know they're 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 not represented uh and their sensitivities aren't taken at all in 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 the jama'at uh, except with sometimes uh being asked to give a ceremonial black history month talk so mm -hmm. you know these are issues that we have to get through much less more implicit issues that i've seen over the years of how uh, uh, a qualified suitor will come to ask for someone's daughter in marriage and then get turned away just because they're black. It doesn't matter about their character, doesn't matter about how many degrees they have, uh, but their blackness is simply enough to get them turned away uh, from marrying someone's daughter. And even in some um, exaggerated cases where I, where I see that they, they've been even uh, been called racial slurs such as kallu or or, or abid and, and things such as this. So um, it's 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 in our institutions, but our institutions are just a reflection of people in the community, and our institutions uh, uh, have to do better. Uh, but the grassroots and our and, and the people on the ground in our community uh, have to strive to do better. I, I really appreciate that. And, and I think, you know, my, my hope, inshallah, is for, for everyone listening, right, is to kind of just take a reflection and an inter internal realization of who we are, what we do, and how we can improve. So I do appreciate you mentioning the importance of us wanting to strive uh, to be better in this regard. And kind of, you know, using that, I want to hear your thoughts on us as individuals, right? What can we do or what is our responsibility as Muslims in the light of all that's going on with anti-blackness, the Black Lives Matter movement is simply just like supporting it enough, talking about it enough. What, what can Muslim students do to actively advocate, right, for our, our black brothers and sisters, like kind of kind of showcase like what does striving mean? What can we do? What should our responsibility be? Well, there uh, two things. The first thing is I will uh, quote uh, Dr. Sherman Abdul Hakim Jackson, Hafidullah Ta'ala, and he always says that hard work is the hard work. Hard work is the hard work. So the first thing that we have to constantly do before we're going to try to stand in solidarity and help other people is, or we should say in conjunction, that we have to work on ourselves, right? And if we're talking about the issue of, of anti-Black racism and racism in general, racism is just a manifestation of a number of spiritual diseases. And the primary foundation of anti-Black racism or racism in general is the spiritual disease of arrogance. So we have to be involved in, 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 in Tezkia of sitting with people who are spiritual guides who, who can help teach us and break us from arrogance and can help give us the spiritual remedies for this very destructive spiritual disease. So this is a matter of the heart and, and, and uh, 
intellectualizing, um, you know, or thinking that we're just going to say slogans about, um, you know, um, Islam has no racism because of Bilal or the Prophet Alihi Wasallam said this is the farewell sermon. Uh, that's just sloganeering without doing the hard work. That's number one. Number two is that one of the things that undergirds racism is the issue of ignorance, right? And we know that the time prior to the Quran that was uh, uh, being revealed was called Asrul Jahiliyyah. It's the, it's the era of ignorance, right? So how we come, how we combat the issue of not, not not arrogance it was the, the era of ignorance how we count how we combat the issue of ignorance is with knowledge and the first is experiential knowledge right and that before we can actually go and work on issues with black people uh, and this is more so for uh, hopefully we can get past COVID-19 and get vaccinated and lift this situation from us. Okay. But uh, is to actually be involved in a type of jihad to leave our comfort zones, travel out of the comfort of where we are at and go into communities where Muslims are at, who are Black, who are African-American Muslims are at and go there and just show up and pray and get to know people, right? And, and that's the connection of hearts. And through that regular interaction with the right intention, organic relationships will come about. And then those people who are, aren't African-American can better learn how to deal with the issues of anti-Black racism, right? And this is very important. This is uh, what we would call ma'rifa, right? This is that type of experiential spiritual knowledge. Then, of course, you know, there's also the issue of, of reading uh, books and, and seeking to educate oneself about the history of, of Black folks here uh, in, in the United States of America, um, and not just um, narratives that paint us as, as perpetual victims, but narratives that talk about our history, uh, who we were, uh, before we were brought here from Africa, the resilience that we've shown in America, the the the, the innovation, uh, the uh, enhancing of the of the cultural uh, expressions, uh, the the intellectual expressions of American society, that needs to be uh, learned and, and centered. And there's a lot of uh, Muslims who are Black, who are uh, scholars, who are uh, intellectuals and academics in our community that have written books and have talked about this. And um, uh, so there are many resources at, at the hands of, of, of Muslim uh, students as far as um, getting this, this, this ilm. I appreciate it, Sheikh Dawood. Thank you so much for mentioning both those important points. Uh, so in regards to, let's say, the second point, right, of educating ourselves, you even mentioned books, right? I know, mashallah, you recently authored a book called Blackness and Islam. Can you kind of explain to me what we can gain out of that book and what your motivation was for, for writing that book? Okay, I'll start with the, the motive first, because as we know, 
in Islam, everything starts with uh, with Nia or intentions. So I wrote this book with the the hope that it would answer three particular objectives. Number one, to tell the truth for the sake of truth, because early Islamic history, unfortunately, has been whitewashed or there's been benign neglect about the influence of noble Muslims who were black amongst the early generations of Muslims, including the, the and especially with the Sahaba. And there were many stellar Muslims who were black beyond Bilal, uh, so this is number one, to tell the truth for the sake of truth, to tell the haq for the sake of al-haq, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second issue is, is the deal with the issue that some Muslims who are black, unfortunately, have a level of inferiority complexes and believe that in order to be uh, a, a real Muslim, legitimate Muslim, that they have to attach themselves uh, to uh, other people's culture outside of blackness. In other words, in order to be an authentic Muslim, one has to uh, imitate uh, a Yemeni or imitate a Pakistani or imitate someone who's uh, Turkish, right? And uh, we should appreciate all the different cultures and intellectual trends uh, with, within the breadth of Islamic civilization, but that also includes Black folks and Black people uh, who suffer from um, having history um, told inaccurately about Black people or miseducation uh, need proper information as a type of medicine to help with these inferiority complexes. The second thing is, that, and the third uh, is, is to write something and to address people who are not Black, uh, who are Muslim, who also have been miseducated about Islamic history, right? Or, or at least there's been a benign neglect that left a number of people to a number of misunderstandings about early uh, Islamic history. So this is uh, the, the the reasons or the motives behind uh, the book. And uh, the book uh, defines what blackness meant in, in early Islam. Uh, and when we read early Islamic books, uh, the Western construct of race is not the same of how, as how they understood this term 1400 years ago or 1300 years ago. So I try to define that. And then uh, there's also the issues of having to critique and go through our tradition. There's been certain spurious traditions that have reached into our in, into Islamic texts or Muslim texts in books of hadith and books of Islamic history and unfortunately in some fiqh books and those had to be debunked. Some uh, uh, Israeliat or Jewish folk tales that have entered into uh, our texts that uh, convey anti-blackness. There are a number of fabricated uh, hadith and, 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 and fabrications attributed to the Sahaba and the, and the Tabi'in uh, that convey anti-blackness that are have been dubbed or have been judged as weak, I mean not weak, fabrications by uh, Hadith scholars. So I, I wrote about that. And also clarifying some rulings that have been done by some prominent scholars in which Orientalists, including Black Orientalists and Pan-Africanists, have tried to use to say that Islam 
is inherently uh, anti-black or Islam inherently makes black people second-class Muslims. So this is kind of the crux of the book of what it is uh, uh, attempting to address. I really appreciate that, Sheikh Dawood. Thank you so much, Jazakumullahu Khair, for those those three points. Uh, kind of alluding from your, your second point, right? You mentioned something that I think uh, it would be great if you can shed more light upon and maybe even, you know, share share a story or something of that sort in regards to some of these legends of the past, the legends, these black Muslim giants, mashallah, right? In addition to, of course, Bilal radiallahu an, can you kind of allude or share, share some insight of maybe one person or two people, like who these giants were, what they were able to do? I think that that would be so great for us. Us as as listeners to benefit from and, and and talk about inshallah okay so the first point might the first person might be shocking but this goes into the book is that the issue of blackness was not confined only to africans from the horn of africa when the arabs of old talked about blackness they also include themselves as being quasi blacks and many black people in fact, at the time of the Sahaba were Arabs, right? So for instance, um, uh, Omar ibn al-Khattab uh, and his sister Fatima bint al-Khattab uh, both, both of them, uh, they, they both had uh, a great grandmother who was Ethiopian and a grandmother who was Ethiopian. Wow. And they were, and Omar uh, ibn al-Khattab was described as, as, as is Edlem, is Edlem Towilan. Edlem means Eswad, uh, it means black. So Fatima bin al Khattab, for instance, uh, who was one of the first people to accept Islam in Mecca. She accepted Islam uh, before Omar. And uh, we know Omar did not accept Islam until eight years until the, until the mission of the Prophet Alayhi Afalusatullah. Uh, but it was this woman who was an Arab with uh, Arab and Ethiopian lineage, uh, whose <laughs> whose brother was described as being tall and black, and she was uh, she would be uh, at least slightly darker than me, right? Uh, judged by the uh, the history, uh, that this was a uh, this was a uh, a, a courageous uh, mukmina who was uh, black and Arab. So this is one example. So when we're reading the history about Omar or if you and Fatima bin al-Khattab or like that uh, mini series that was made about the life of Omar, just like the movie called The Message, no one understand that when you look at those people and how they're depicted, it's completely historically inaccurate about how they're depicted, about how those people, how, how Omar is depicted it's kind of like the whitewashing of like Charlton Heston playing Moses in the Ten Commandments. Musa salam, according to our Hadith literature and according to also biblical scholars, he would have been black. He was a black Hebrew, right? But he's he 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 looks like. Uh, but they they have Omar just like looking kind of like a Charlton Heston type. So um, these are inaccurate. The 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 second person like to mention. Is another woman, and I'm, I'm lifting up the women in particular because just as we need to center uh, uh, blackness properly in Islamic history, we have to remember the women folk because many times we talk about the great male Sahaba and we don't mention or talk about enough 
the many, many outstanding female, uh, the, the uh, Sahabiyat, may Allah be well pleased with them. So, so one of them, Baraka, uh, um, uh, she was uh, uh, Ethiopian or, uh, or uh, Al Habashia. And to be more accurate, when I say uh, Ethiopian, Abyssinian, uh, the, the former kingdom of, of Aksum um, would, contra would today, it would have the lands of like Djibouti, which are like ethnically Somali people. It would be the, uh, the areas of Eritrea, uh, Ethiopia, and also uh, a sliver or part of what is now Sudan. That was the old Habesha. So when I'm when I'm saying Ethiopian, it's, it's bigger than just the, the nation state of Ethiopia today. But Baraka, radiallahu anha, she was a witness to the birth of the Prophet والسلام, in the home of uh, his mother, um, uh, Amina bint Wahb, Sayyida Amina. So she was a witness of that birth and that nur. And when Amina said that the light that came from her that she could see from Mecca to the palaces of Sham, right? Mm -hmm. Baraka, who was Ethiopian, a black woman, was a witness to that. Uh, she then uh, took care of the Prophet including for a short period of time when Amina, his mother, passed away and uh, when he was very young. And uh, she was one of those people who migrated from Mecca to Medina. And there's two very important things that, that we know the Prophet والسلام, said about her is because that um, uh, she's also known as Um Ayman because she had a son, her firstborn son was named Ayman. She also had a son by the name of Zaid, I mean, uh, Usama, Usama ibn Zaid. But, um, this woman, uh, Baraka Um Ayman, uh, because she used to take care of the Prophet وسلم, when he was a, a very young boy, he said about her, Um Ayman, Umi, Bata Umi. Um Ayman is the mother after my blood mother, right? So uh, just imagine how differently we would look at the status of the Black woman in our community if we reflected that our beloved prophet said that an African woman was the mother after his blood mother. Like we should reflect on that. The other point is that um, when she was single, the, the, uh, the prophet was sitting with some of his sahaba and, and Um Ayman came next to him and he said to them who would like to marry a woman from the people of jannah and the and the person who stepped forward to marry her was zaid ibn haritha who was like the foster son to the prophet right when the prophet died it is said that Abu Bakr and Omar would go to her and visit her every day. And the reason why they did this, because in Medina, since the prophet's blood mother was, was dead, 
he would still go check up on Um Ayman every day because Um Ayman was like his mother. So he would go check up on her every day. So after the Prophet died, alayhi Abu Bakr and Umar would go and check up on Um Ayman every day. And they did this because they said they saw the Prophet do it. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam. Wow, subhanAllah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jazakumullahu khair, Sheikh Dawood. That that was huge. And I think that that will hopefully be, as it was for me, a uh, benefit for so many people listening, just to give us this this un, this important understanding. SubhanAllah. I guess transitioning now, right? We talked about, you know, anti-blackness, Black Lives Matter. We talked about Black History Month. Kind of getting now into the college setting, right? Where would you like to see MSAs? Muslim student associations in regard to black history? Like what are some events that they can do uh, to celebrate, to, to talk about these legends? Kind of kind of sh- talk to the students right now, like what they can do, uh, because this was so inspiring to hear. And, and I want to kind of, you know, premise it now towards students and, and what they can do uh, to be more active, what they can do in terms of events, things of that sort. So there's two things <clears throat> I would say. The first thing is that we should always start off everything from an Islamic perspective and our understanding of Islam is based in the Quran. So my suggestion would be is that we should perhaps try to organize events that talk about scholarly people who are black in the Islamic tradition and especially those who were mufassirin and scholars of the Quran, and maybe even discuss in that context some of their explanations as it relates to the Quran and the Sunnah. So we have many great luminaries in our tradition. We have who were mufassirin, who wrote uh, exegesis of Quran and their books exist with us today in Arabic. Uh, even some of them have been translated into English language. Uh, greats such as Sheikh Uthman bin Fudi, also known as Uthman bin Fodio, and his brother Sheikh Abdullahi bin Fudi, and uh, Sheikh Uthman's uh, daughter Nana Asma'u. Rahmatullahi uh, ta'ala alayha, who was a scholar, a hafidh of Quran, and a scholar in the Islamic tradition. Sheikh Ibrahim Inyas, Sheikh Ahmad Bamba, Sheikh Malik Si. I mean, there's so many that I could mention, but there are people in our community who uh, know of these scholars and who have sat with uh, people who have transmitted their books. And uh, this, is, this is very important for us to focus on. We have to be grounded in Quran and we have to be grounded in our understanding of our tradition firstly. The second thing is just in general, a little history about the, the movement in America for freedom, justice and equality. And as it relates to civil rights, and I would also say human rights, I think this is also uh, a very important thing uh, for a number of reasons to get historical context and to understand 
that movements and different people who are doing things right now in regards to the importance of of, of black people's lives, that what's going on now is nothing new, is a continuum of what's been going on. And we need to learn uh, from the successes of the past, but also the mistakes of the past so that we don't repeat, inshallah, that we try not to repeat certain uh, mistakes that have gone on in the past and, and, and also recognize certain mistakes that are going on right now, to be quite frank. Wow. Wow. Subhanallah. Jazakallah khair. And, and for the students listening, yeah. I, I hope we can all, you know, take, take benefit from this and, and act upon it as well. Well, well, Sheikh Dawood, subhanallah, it, it definitely, we went deep and, and we talked about a bunch of things and, and it, you know, the, the key word from it is just is value. And I can't thank you enough. And as we do with all our other episodes, Sheikh Dawood, I know, you know, we kind of went zero to a hundred real quick. Kind of want to just have a little bit fun with this last portion we always do in the episodes and just ask a couple rapid fire fun questions if that's okay. No, no problem. Bismillah. <laughs> Inshallah. So just five questions, really simple, fun. Uh, excited to hear your answers. So the first one, Sheikh Dawood, what is your favorite food? It have to be it had to depend on what type of food because I'm a foodie but but I would I, I I would say that one of my uh favorite foods is kubade that would be the uh Persian uh kebab kubade awesome awesome wow never knew you were a foodie awesome uh okay so once COVID is over where is your go-to place to travel the first place that I'd probably go to if uh, for taking a, a family trip would be uh, the Turkey. Wow. Love it. Mashallah. Okay. Here's a good one. I'm really excited to hear your answer for this. What is your favorite book? After the Quran, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Subhanallah. Awesome. What's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby is watching sports so this this probably wasn't this actually wasn't a question but i'm just going to ask it anyways what's your favorite team and and for and for for the sports that you like let's go basketball favorite basketball favorite football team uh my favorite basketball team hasn't been good in a number of years that's the new york knicks <laughs> <laughs> my favorite football team since growing up was dallas cowboys okay yeah i, I don't i don't think they've been pretty good either right now but they haven't been good in a long time either but to, just to show you my my uh my age of like how old i am uh when i was in high school uh i wore 33 actually i wore 33 uh from uh, middle school and high school and uh and that was because when i was young in elementary school my favorite football player was Tony Dorsett, and he wore 33 when I was in elementary school. Wow, wow. Well, so I don't know if you know who Tony Dorsett is, but he was the rushing leader for the Cowboys until Emmett Smith broke his record. Wow, I, I do know who Emmett Smith is, but I appreciate the, the loyalness and, and hopefully the Cowboys <laughs> can have something going soon. And, and obviously, I'm from Chicago, so I know the New York Knicks picked up my, my favorite player, Derrick Rose. So wishing uh, the New York Knicks the best. Um, I, I guess moving to the last question, Sheikh Dawood, uh, really excited to hear your answer for this. If you can go back in time and give yourself, your younger self, some advice, what would it be? That's a tough question, but I would say one of the things 
that I would tell myself is listen to the advice of your elders more intently. Is what I would tell myself going back when I was a youth. Listen to the advice of your elders more intently. Subhanallah. Well, I guess then there's no better way to conclude Sheikh Dawood than to ask if you can give any parting advice, whatever it is, uh, to everyone listening, inshallah. The Prophet Muhammad said in a hadith narrated by Imam Tabarani, rahimahullah ta'ala, it starts off saying, that for every truth, there is a deeper reality. For everything, there is a deeper reality. Excuse me, for everything, there is a deeper truth behind it. And I would just, my advice for, uh, for uh, fellow Muslims, especially those of you who are younger, is that be careful about reducing everything in life down to physicality and material outcomes. Be very wary about that and be very wary about that discourse. For us as Muslims, we believe and we should operate based upon this belief that behind all physical manifestations are metaphysical realities. Behind all physical manifestations are metaphysical realities. So our starting point should be from spirituality. So if we're looking at the issues of racism in, in, in the world, then know, for instance, that racism cannot be legislated or adjudicated away. You can't make anyone, you can't pass a law to change anyone's heart, right? So we have to think about things firstly from a spiritual perspective and let that guide us towards the, the intellectual and the, the, the physical and the social. So that would be my advice to all those who are listening. Jazakumullahu khair, Sheikh Dawood. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward all those who've listened and inshallah benefited. Inshallah, what we're going to be doing, everybody, is we're going to be placing Sheikh Dawood's links in which you can purchase his books as well. Uh, of course, to him for to follow him as well and benefit from him. Please let us know if you have any questions in the comment section, inshallah, and we'll aim to get those answered as well. And inshallah, we'll see you on the next episode of the MSA National Podcast.